Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. And joining us again on the podcast, we have a fave. We have author Anna J. Stewart. So welcome back, ma'am. We're so excited to have you join us again. Catch us up on on what's been going on with you. How has the rest of 2021 treated you since we last spoke? Uh, Not too bad. Um, I can slowly feel life returning to normal, um, catching up on the deadlines. I've only got two more books to write before I I catch up on all those deadlines that (laughs) bypassed me in 2020. So I've written, uh, six books and two novellas this year, I think. So 2021 is (laughs) slowly coming back into, coming back into pace, I think, but yes, I'll, I'll be glad to see 2022. But um, at least 2021 is an improvement over 2020. Yes. But I think we're still over it, right? Like, oh, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's get on to 2022. 2022, yes. <laughs> it's kind of like you said before we hit record, like 2021 has felt like just such an in-between year. It's so hard yeah. to explain. We're all in the down below. We don't know which way is up and which way to go. And <laughs> yeah, we're just flipping over back and forth and trying to figure out, you know, the path that's actually going to open up. It, it feels like things keep starting and stopping, starting and stopping. And But I, I think it's starting to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of your tweets from back in November was about turning in the last edits for the final Butterfly Harbor book and how it was bittersweet. Describe for us the feeling of when you knew when you know it's time for a series to come to an end it's time for a series to come to an end when you start the book and think i can't believe i have to do this again (laughs) Uh, okay and that's not to say i don't love the town and i don't love the characters but by the time i hit book 12 i was ready for it to be done at least with the cast of characters i had worked okay. with already mm-hmm. now that's not to say there will not be more butterfly harbor books in the future in fact the way that i ended the last book it is clearly a jump off point for a second generation and i have got kids galore in the 12 books so mm-hmm. i can easily do another another generation and um i i kind of already have some notes on that but and until then, it was it was very bittersweet, mainly because Butterfly Harbor, aside from the Christmas Town anthology, uh, which was Christmas actually, Butterfly Harbor was my foray into Harlequin. That was the dream achieved. Mm-hmm. Now I got to keep the dream going, but um, yeah, I just wanted to do something different and and spread my wings a little bit and create mm-hmm. some new characters, a new town. Let's start it all over again and see where it takes us. Is it like a combination of? I mean, mentally, when you're writing a series, there's a lot you have to remember, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, I set the coffee shop here and the library's here and this person owned this building and this is the kid of that person. Is it, does it get to a point where you're like, okay, this is a lot. I just, I need a fresh new start um, Mm -hmm. mixed with just like, I'm ready to do something different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, what is that feeling? It is. And the mistake I made was not starting a Bible from book one. So I, I had a, a reader of mine, right? She read the first four, I think, in the series and kind of kept a Bible for me, which was great. And then um, I had a friend's daughter who was willing to do it uh, to get some experience. And then she kind of didn't. And I had already told the other reader that I was moving on. And I felt really, really bad about that. Um, but keeping track of the details when you're writing a series of anything more than three books, it's vital to sanity. It really is. In fact, I was setting my goals for next quarter. And one of my goals, because I'll start 
the new a new series in February or March um, is to start from the beginning with a Bible program in place. I'm not sure what that's going to be yet, but something that works for me. I mean, I'm somebody who's always writing in notebooks and uh, I'm longhand when it comes to, you know, fleshing out my stories or characters notes. I mean, I've got, keep me away from the school supply section come August because <laughs> I will get all those college rolled spiral notebooks that are 10 for a dollar or whatever. Oh yeah. Those are mine. Um, <laughs> So transferring to something that's computer-based is going to be a challenge, but I think in the long run, it's going to be, it's going to be really helpful. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, I really, when I'm looking up for the 50th time, okay, what street is the comic book store on? Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> or what color eyes does this character have? I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. clearly he doesn't have eyes because I haven't mentioned the color. So let's just make sure, you know, no eyes. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So some characters, the descriptions and stuff stick with me, like uh, Calliope and her sister and stuff like that. The, the quirkier characters tend to stick in my head better and I don't have to look anything up. But air, eye color and hair color is the bane of most authors' existence because <laughs> most of us will change those sometime in the story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you will get the reader who will tell you, oh, by the way, yeah, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> She yeah, and you get red hair in the last book. Yeah, right. And you and you get those comments after the file is solid and after the print copy has come out. And I'm like, thank you so much for letting me know. And that's mm-hmm. where it ends. <laughs> so we also know from following you on Twitter that you have a new six book heartwarming series that you'll be writing. So congratulations on that okay. first. Thank you. Um, we know that it's obviously still early, but is there anything about this series that you can share with us? Like, where? what are your ideas for it? So I'm calling this the Ohana Odysseys series, and um, it's taking place in my second favorite place on the planet, which is Hawaii. So it'll be a six-book series, and Ohana Odysseys is actually the small tour company that um, is on the fictional town of Nalani, Hawaii. It's on the big island, I think. I have to keep asking. Carrie uh, Lynn Webb lived in Hawaii for a number of years. So whenever I have a question about Hawaii, I'm like, what island am I on? Because yeah. I'm always I'm always forgetting <laughs> what is it. So whatever, whichever island has Kona and Hilo, that's the island that this is on. And I think that's the big island. <laughs> I'm going to have to get that straight before I write the books. But um, so the first character of Sydney, which is book one, she comes to Hawaii after the sudden death of her brother. She is a pilot. She uh, runs her, uh, she works as a Coast Guard rescue and also as a tour helicopter pilot uh, back in South Carolina. So she comes out for the for the funeral and finds out that her brother has left her the tour company. So um, as the books progress, uh, friends of both the deceased brother and Sydney start to come out to the island to help with the business and they end up staying and falling in love. And then there's some uh, local characters that um, have their happily ever afters as well. And we're going to have lots of fun little, little quirky characters running around the town. And then of course there's uh, the big bad conglomerate that's trying to take over part of the island to um, turn it all into pretty condos and not pay homage to the land, which of course for me is a big part of Hawaii and it's uh, 
keeping the traditions and the and the pristineness about the islands as close as possible to what nature intended. So uh, I'm really looking forward to writing it, mainly because maybe it means a new trip to Hawaii in my future, yeah. um, which, you know, I'm always looking for an excuse for. But I'm super excited because Hawaii has always held a very special place in my heart. So. And I can only imagine the heartwarming covers for that. Right. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I'm like, can I fill out the art fact sheet now? Because I really right. need now. <laughs> I don't have a title. I don't have a story. Well, I have a story, but I haven't written it yet. But let's just get going on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> the most important part. Yeah. Now, with a series like Butterfly Harbor, did you know going in it was going to be 12? And same with this one. Do you know going in? This is how many books you're going to be doing. So Butterfly Harbor, originally I had eight stories in mind and then other characters presented themselves. So it ended up going to 12. So Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I first uh, put together that first proposal, Melinda Melinda Curtis told me, make sure it's at least two or three books. Because honestly, Harlequin isn't necessarily buying a book. They're buying a voice Mm -hmm. and they want to know that they have a potential investment in their authors. So uh, if you just have one or two ideas, that's okay. But if you have, you know, if you have a fleshed out idea for more than, more than three, I would say three to four books is probably ideal. Um, This particular one was originally seven. And my editor said, I'm not really crazy about this last one. Can you just kind of take elements of it and sprinkle it into the others and make it six? So uh, that's how we went on that. So let's dig into your backlist. If you could point a reader who is new to your bibliography uh, to one of your books, what's the best place to start? What's the best place to start in your backlist? Okay, so um, the most books I've written have been The Sweet Romances for Heartwarming, and I love those books. But I think my romantic suspense books really lend more to displaying my voice. And for me, More Than a Lawman, which was my first release from Harlequin Romantic Suspense, is the first in the Honor Bound trilogy, which has since gone on to be eight books. Um, That one, to me, feels most authentic to me. And I think also that character of Eden St. Clair is um, kind of a lot like me in that she literally just kind of bulldozes her way through life and doesn't expect anybody to uh, help her the way that she thinks she needs help. So she's just not going to ask kind of thing. So uh, she's very tenacious. She's very um, uh, determined to solve mysteries that keep families in pain, uh, solving cold cases and such like that. So, and then also it's a, it's a really nice guy hero. You know, he's her He's been her best friend for years, and he's kind of secretly harbored uh, feelings for her. And whether she ha- whether she knows it or not, uh, it shouldn't come as big of a surprise to her as it does. Uh, but it also makes a lot of sense when it starts to happen. So I think as far as um, relationship mechanics and story mechanics, and also it deals with a serial killer, which I always love throwing into my books, which I can't do with heartwarming <laughs> yet. Who knows? Um, <laughs> our warming editors are like sitting back listening to this. Hopefully, no, no, Dana's no. like, nope, nope, oh, no idea, I, <laughs> I can just hear Catherine going, uh, "We need to have a conversation." <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that one is a good launch point for me because it, it displays my the voice that I really want to be using. I love hearing you say that your like your 
op your choice for that would be a romantic suspense because I feel like romantic suspense lovers are die hard for all the creepy realistic things in life. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like I love that that's your choice. Like I always I'm like for Sarah and my sister, their things for comfort are like laying in bed watching CSI or something. And I'm like, right. how? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? like, how is that? Yeah, that's me. In fact, I still have, I have the last three episodes of the, uh, the revamped CSI Vegas. I, have I haven't those. watched it I'm yet. Gonna, I really, I've really enjoyed it, but I saved the last three to binge because uh, I was getting tired of waiting week to week. And I'm like, I'm just going to wait till it's over and then I'll, and then I'll dive in and, and finish it off. So I hope it comes back for another season. I've really, I've really liked it. And I was not the biggest Gil Grissom fan uh, from CSI. I loved the 10 dancing years. I, the last couple of years of that show, um, the gore factor started to get to me. I'm like, I now have a list of all the ways I do not want to die. Right. <laughs> and it's a big ass list. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine being the writers of that show and going, how right? do we kill somebody this time? And I'm like, okay, that would actually be a kind of cool job. Yeah. I, uh, I've started marathoning my way through CSI New York because I liked mm. New York and Vegas. And that one was more gory than Vegas. And my husband and I are like, I forgot how like in depth, like the autopsies would get. And I'm like, I'm sitting there like behind my, you know, like <laughs> watching. <Yeah. laughs> but yeah. for the regular CSI, I like the Lawrence Fish, Fishburne years. I liked him. Ray Langston. Yeah, I loved his character, but I didn't like how that all resolved. That whole part with his wife. I write romance I want happily ever after. I agree. I I agree. The people being, I skip over the the darker episodes that that pushed him over the edge. But Mm -hmm. I thought his character was fascinating considering his father's past and all that. Mm -hmm. It was great. So, yes, Mm -hmm. CSI is a relaxer for me, too. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Oh, boy. I will never understand it. But it's like, <laughs> I was telling my sister, I was like, yeah, if you want to watch something relaxing, like I'm explaining to her this new show on Disney and it's all about the earth. And she's like, you know, my thing to watch when I need to relax is CSI. And I'm like, yeah. how? <laughs> I don't understand. How because you the bad guys get it in the end. Because the bad yeah, guys are makes off sense. the streets that in the end. Sense. That makes sense. <laughs> okay, tell us about a book in your backlist that made you laugh while writing. You know, there's there's a lot of humor in all of my books, fortunately, even the romantic suspense. Uh, but I think the one I had the most fun writing and the one that I literally had to stop because I was laughing was Bright on the Run. And I had so that was as close to slapstick, I think, as I've gotten. And it's not even like overly slapstickish, but the idea of these two characters stuck in close quarters and the engines having problems and who can handle what. And, you know, having a bride stuck in the closet of a boat to <laughs> me was it was just delightful. And I really hadn't written delightful before. Mm-hmm. Um and then throwing in a, a crazy cuckoo parrot named Duchess, <laughs> uh, who's great to, you know, 
bounce uh, comedic fodder off of. And then the torture I got to put her fiance through, you know, I kept throwing him in the water and I had the yep. bird attack him and all this kind of stuff. And there actually, there was, there was a lot more to that that I ended up having to edit out because it, it, it crossed a couple of lines and my editors <laughs> all like, yeah, no, we can't do that. <laughs> so I saved those and I'm like putting that in a single title somewhere. There you um, go. <laughs> but I, I think as far as fun and uh, not a lot of angst, there's conflict oh, between the characters, of course, but Bright on the Run was is hands down the most fun book I've written, I think. So tell us about a book in your backlist that was tough to write. I'm going to veer off a little bit and go to one of my ones that's now indie published. It was originally published by Berkeley, and that's Nemesis on the Prowl. And I wrote this in 2012, which was, or actually, yeah, it must have been 2012, shortly thereafter. Um, in 2012 was when I finaled in the Golden Heart. It was also uh, the week after I found out I finaled, um, my mother was diagnosed with stage four uterine cancer. She's fine. Happy ending mm-hmm. on that story card. But I, mom. <laughs> always. Um, but I didn't realize until I started writing the second book in the Nemesis series, which would have been about a year or so later, how much that experience affected me. Um, and I went down all kinds of rabbit holes of of cancer, you know, and she had the whole she had the whole operation and five weeks of chemotherapy and everything. And fortunately, she doesn't remember a lot of it, which is awesome. I remember all of it. Yeah. So my hero in Nemesis in the on the Prowl, I I knew that he had a history of cancer, but what I didn't know I, what I was going to do with that book was it was going to have a recurrence, um, which I thought was kind of interesting to explore. Um, and I I'd seen it done quite well with heroines, especially with breast cancer. But with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is, um, oh, I wish I could remember my hero's name. Lord, you'd think I would be able to. <laughs> but You have um, a lot of names to remember. So I do fine. have a lot of names, yes. Um, but and it'll hit me like two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to wake up and scream out his name in an <laughs> unfortunate an unfortunate moment, I'm sure. So expect a text message around that time. It's um, fine. <laughs> but I, I think... Um, it was a difficult book to write, but it was also a cathartic book to write because I was able to filter in all of that fear and anxiety that family members deal with when a loved one is diagnosed. And of course, a lot of the conflict comes from the fact that he, other people find out before the heroine does and um, other people react in ways that are the ways I wish I could have reacted. In fact, this is this is actually the book I got a couple of emails on because of the language. And, you know, sometimes only the F word will do. Mm-hmm. And when somebody you know and love has been diagnosed with a potentially fatal illness, the F word is appropriate as far as I'm concerned. So 100%. I find it interesting. Yeah. So I find it interesting that people push back on language, but not necessarily on sex and violence. So I always mm-hmm. find that really funny. Um, but yeah, so I think Nemesis on the Prowl for me was was the most difficult book to write, but it was also the most healing book to write because I knew at the end, it, it's a romance. He's going to be fine, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he's going to be fine in book three, which he's a part of even as he's going through his cancer treatment. So um, I thought it was also important to um, do something realistic, you know, 
everybody gets affected by these types of things. It doesn't matter your financial situation or your status in life. A cancer is a great equalizer. So I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that that was uh, part of that story. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast a, f- a couple of months ago. And like my big fear, I mean, cancer is one of those fears, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. both of my grandmothers had breast cancer. Like I have just been bugging out about staying on top of things, getting mm-hmm. it handled if you know, you know, and oh, yeah. this, the woman said she, she had, she's a, a breast cancer survivor. And one thing that she said that made I, I didn't realize she was like, you know, you see it in movies or what have you and people, it just seems like everything happens back to back and so quick. She's like, mm. the part of the sad part of it is that's not the truth. She's no, like, you'll right. get diagnosed and it may be another month or two before mm-hmm. you have an appointment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I just feel like that adds to the fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. the waiting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and the waiting feeds it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. um, one thing I've noticed um, with uh, family members or friends who have who have dealt with cancer, it's almost as if before they find out about the diagnosis, everything seems fine and they might have a few symptoms here or there or something might be off. But as soon as they know they have it, something seems to kick in in the body and things move into fast forward as far as mm-hmm. the disease is concerned, because it's all you're thinking about. Right. Mm-hmm. And one thing my mom always raised me with was thoughts or things. So it's kind of that question that you always have in the back of your mind. If I was, you know, if I had a horrible disease, would I want to know? And I don't know if I would want to know because I don't want to feed it. So, um, but yeah, the, the waiting is the, um, yeah, it's, that's, that's really hard. And it's so hard on the people surrounding you Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with that. So is there a character from a backlist title that stuck with you long after you'd written them? You know, I do have a character that has been with me for quite a while and I haven't written his book yet. Hmm, um, interesting. That's yeah. what we love to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually Eamon Quinn, who is in the Honor Bound series. And the first three books of those deal with the unsolved murder of the three heroines' childhood friends. Uh, and the friend's name was um, Chloe. And Chloe had a brother and he went into the FBI. And in fact, he uh, worked in uh, child abuse and child pornography and all that kind of stuff because he was stuck in the circle of trying to make up for the fact that he couldn't save his sister, even though he was just a teenager at the time. So he's come in and out of the books uh, here and there. He's with the FBI. So he, he, you know, he's able to give them help when they need it in certain cases. And in the third book, there's a, uh, the heroine is, is kidnapped at the end and there's a kidnapping that mirrors the kidnapping of his sister. So as I got farther into these books and I was trying to come up with other ideas to keep the series going, I thought, I wonder what does Eamon do now that they know who killed his sister? Because his life up until that point had all been about trying to make amends and uh, helping because he couldn't help her. Well, now they've closed that case. They know who killed her. It's been put to bed. And now he's stuck in a profession that is so filled with darkness and pain and suffering that he's literally kind of at a loss and he's at a crossroads. So that will be book eight. That is the book I will be writing uh, probably starting next April. When I was thinking about this question, that's the Honestly, that is the one character that came to mind because I, I'm looking forward to uncovering his process of finding out what comes next and how do you move on into a life hopefully filled with love and promise 
when you've got this history of such darkness and mm-hmm. evil uh, trailing behind you. Um, so yeah, so that's 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 a character that uh, really sticks with me, and I, I can't wait to see where that goes. So this episode is going to be our Christmas Day episode. Ooh. So let's chat a bit about Christmas. Yay! Can you share with us one of your favorite holiday memories? Okay, first of all, I am a Christmas junkie. I yes. love all things Christmas. My decorations go up on Thanksgiving Day. The turkey goes in the oven, and I am in the closet getting the decorations down. Um, <laughs> I'm also a, a, typically before I got the two cats that I have. You know, we used to have a huge seven foot tree that I, was my pride and joy. That tree no longer goes up because of these two cats. <laughs> uh, there's no way that tree would survive it. So I have a lot of wall hanging trees around the house. Mm-hmm. So, but as far as a favorite Christmas memory, uh, when I was eight years old, my mother and my grandmother and I went to Hawaii for Christmas. Oh, wow. And ironically, this is also the last year I ever wore a bikini. Just saying. <laughs> um, eight years old, that was my done. <laughs> um <laughs> But I can remember we were, uh, and my aunt and my uncle were there, and my grandmother's best friend who taught me how to swim. So that was the year I learned how to swim. And I can remember we were taking a drive around the island, and I think this was in Kona. I'm pretty sure this was in Kona. Ironically, the same island where I've set my new series of books. And at one point we had parked, and I looked up, and there was this mountain just covered in poinsettias. Oh, wow. And now this could be my eight-year-old mind seeing this as a mountain. It was probably just like a slope. Yep. But to my eight-year-old mind, I just, that is, that is my image of Christmas. Yeah. Um, And ironically, it's in Hawaii where there's no snow. But um, so, and then that was also the year I got one of my absolute favorite presents, which was a a doll. It was a Fisher Price doll. It was called the My Friends line. And it was Jenny. She was the dark haired doll. And I still have those dolls, actually. I'm a doll collector. So I'm one of the, I'm one of the creepy doll collectors. Um, I was going to say, are you one of the creepy doll collectors? (laughs) Well, all of my dolls are beautiful. I also collect Barbies. so, but yes, <gasps> I've, I have got dolls all over this house. My great grandmother had antique dolls that I still have. My grandmother wow. loved them. So it's genetic. It kind of skipped my mom, I think for the comparatively speaking, it skipped my mom. But, um, no, I got like, no, ma'am, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. She's like, well, my daughter's got it. My mother's got it. I'll just go with whatever they've got. But yep. When it comes to my favorite holiday memory, yeah, there are two places I want to go for Christmas. I want to go back to Hawaii for Christmas one year, mm-hmm. and I want to go to a Disney park for Christmas one year. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because, to me, it just exemplifies everything good and happy and hopeful about mm-hmm. about the about the season. So, mm-hmm. Can I just say, if you ever decide to write a women's fiction novel, but that just wrote itself, like, you know, woman who went to Hawaii at eight with her mom and her grandmother and like her grandmother's best friend or whatever the case may be, they all, you know, they return back or whatever years later. I'm just saying that sounds mm-hmm. like such a good women's fiction novel. It kind of does, which is why I'm making notes about it right now. <laughs> She's like, give me a second here. <laughs> You heard it here, folks, if you see it on the shelf. (laughs) Well, and I know it was funny because on that trip, I think it was on that trip because I've been to Hawaii a few times. 
And um, we had relatives who lived there and they had this enormous like Victorian Southern Bell plantation type house right on the beach. And wow. I wish to God I had been older when I'd been there so I could actually appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's, uh, see, I got to write that down too, because um, <laughs> house on the beach. Like Sarah always says, we aim to enable here yes. on the podcast. Just so. remember who, when you're dedicating the book. <laughs> yep, Sarah and Bree writing that down too. Um so, so yeah, I mean, to me, there's just always something magical about the islands anyway. Sure. Um, there are two places on the planet that I have been, and I've been lucky to travel pretty well, more so outside the country than in the United States, but two places where I stepped foot and I knew I was home, and that was Hawaii and it was Scotland. Um, mm, it yeah. was just, in fact, I'm getting chills now just saying those two places. Uh, Hawaii to me is... It, it's the only other place other than California I think I could ever live. Mm-hmm. I'd never be able to afford it, but that's mm-hmm. lottery money there. Um, and one reason I should be playing the lottery, actually. Um, but yeah, Scotland and Hawaii, those are my those are my two blood homes, I think. So I need to look back into the family connections and, and see if anybody's <laughs> left over there that I can say, hey, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you have a spare room? I yeah, can rent. Exactly. Or even, you know, just a spare shed out back. Yeah. Really. A spare okay. castle. Right. <laughs> there you go. So do you have a holiday tradition that you're comfortable with sharing with us? Um, Mom and I don't have too many holiday traditions. Our holiday tradition is pretty much, well, because we decorate on Thanksgiving Day mm-hmm. um, and then enjoy it probably until late January, early February. Same. Mainly because I don't have the energy to put it away before then. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, our Christmas tradition seems to be on Christmas Day where we, um, this year I'm going to make them from scratch, but we have cinnamon rolls for breakfast. Mm-hmm. And while we're eating breakfast, we watch White Christmas with Danny Kay and Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of our favorite movies. I love mm-hmm. musicals, so it's a good way to start the day. And then... Uh, in the past, what we've done is um, we've agreed on a Lego set that we both <laughs> like, and uh, we build that. So we've built a lot of Harry Potter Lego sets, and I have the new bookstore from the town that they did. Um, it's been boxed up for a couple of years because I, ha- I haven't wanted to get it out with the cats. I don't know what they'll do with Legos. Um, <laughs> actually, I do know what they'll do with Legos. Um, and then uh, this year, I don't know if you saw this, but Lego released a typewriter set. It's an old-fashioned typewriter with the keys. I saw that. Oh, my God. It's like all of my obsessions merged into one thing. Um, I have not purchased that mainly because it sold out like immediately. But so, yeah, we usually, we've built Lego sets in the past. And then while we're doing the Legos, I put a pot roast on the stove. And it's my grandfather's recipe that got tweaked by my mom. And now I've tweaked it to the way I do it. So it's kind of a, a try generational recipe uh and then and then when we have dinner we watch die hard yes thank you (laughs) because it's a christmas movie yes and there's no point in arguing with me because i'm right sorry okay um (laughs) you take christmas out of the movie there's no movie yeah (laughs) because there's no reason for him to go to los angeles if it's not christmas so it's christmas so that's that's our typical christmas day so speaking of movies, is is Die Hard your favorite Christmas film, or do you have another one? Uh, it's one of my favorite Christmas films. Um, okay, I I have never seen. I'm hoping this is the year I finally watch Elf. I have never watched Elf. I've never I watched it either. either. 
We okay. all three have to watch mm-hmm. it this year. Okay, so this year there's um, our goal. There were, <laughs> I know. I I have a Will Ferrell issue. I, Thank I just, you. I okay, just it's not just me. It's not. No, but everybody I know who has seen it just loves it. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna have to suck it up and at least watch it once. Yeah. Yeah. And besides, Bob Newhart is in it, so that oh. should be enough for me to watch. Okay. Um, but no, you know what movie I absolutely love is The Holiday. With Cameron oh, Diaz and Kate yeah. Winslet and Jude Law in that movie is just perfection. I mean, <laughs> he cries at the drop of a hat and seeing him with his two little girls. And I had no idea Jack Black could be such a fun romantic lead. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it just hits all, yeah, it just hits all the right notes with me. And, and Eli Wallach as the elderly neighbor who's, you know, using his cane and she's, training him with his walker and it's just such a delightful movie and you just want to kick that guy that she's in love with i know and I, I i had a lot of problems with that movies for a long time because you know for for part of that movie she's just a doormat and i'm just like oh my goodness gracious girl just grow a spine please and she does so it, that it opening scene when she like walks and gets oh. a present and then like they announce he's engaged and her heart, you can see, she oh. just did that scene so well. Her heart is so broken. And, oh, the, she's crying. I'm crying. Exactly. It's, okay. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it really is. And I'm not a big rom-com person. You know, I can take or leave romantic comedies, honestly. But that one for me, really, it, it hits all the marks. I mean, in the part with her and the older gentleman, I was like, I could watch an entire movie mm-hmm. just about this, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> so they, needed, they needed a spinoff just of the two of them. That would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. So we know that this time of year can be difficult for some. So could you share some simple pleasures that you enjoyed and are proud of yourself for prioritizing this year that could maybe help anybody out that mm-hmm. struggles during this time? Yeah. Um, so yeah, one of the things I really tried to prioritize this year is me and my health. And I think my mom going through her heart issues last year kind of, uh, propelled me onto that. Um, prior to her getting sick, I had, uh, worked really hard to take off some weight. I'd lost 30 pounds and then she got sick and it all came back and it brought Mm -hmm. friends. So I, um, after we finally got over the hump of her last her last issues and she was okay again, I rededicated myself to that. And one of the things I started prioritizing was taking my walks in the morning. I start my day almost every day with a half hour to a 45 minute walk, however long a past podcast lasts. That's my, okay. <laughs> that's how I time it. But um, just getting out and moving and breathing and um, trying to disconnect from everything that stresses me out uh, makes it a little bit easier to tackle other stuff during the day. So I think prioritizing myself and coming to the realization that I'm worth prioritizing, I totally understand why the holidays are so hard for people. I come from a very small nuclear family. You know, I have quite a bit extended family and my friends are my family as well. But for the most part, it's just me and mom. So um, it's a very insular household (laughs) with celebrations, but that's enough. And if the holidays aren't your thing, that's totally okay. I yep. mean, I have, I have a couple of friends who, when the when the Christmas season comes up, they're all like, "Uh oh, it's Christmas. Somebody needs to strap Anna out of the out of the way." Because <laughs> <laughs> all the people who freak out about the de- decorations and the stuff on sale at stores, like in September and October, yeah, I'm not stressing over that. I'm like, "Where am I going now?" 
because Christmas to me is just joyous. But I also mm-hmm. know it's it's it can be really really difficult for people, especially considering how many people have lost people over the mm-hmm. last couple of years. Um, makes it even tougher. So um, I think I would just suggest find something that centers you and that makes you okay, even yeah. if for a couple of minutes. Because even if just a couple of minutes. Uh, can put your mind at ease, I think. And and do what you feel comfortable with. Never never do anything that makes you uncomfortable or that you just don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, case in point, I have uh, a friend who is telling me she has a couple of family members that are going to be getting together. And uh, one of them said, I cannot be around this other person. It's just toxic for me. So they're not coming. And my friend was upset because she's like, I want to see these per- this person during the holidays. I'm like, yeah, but she can't do it. It's not good for her. Mm-hmm. So understanding that other people have their own way of coping with things. And sometimes the best way to cope is to not do something. And that's totally okay. Totally okay. And it sounds like she really set a boundary and was like, Mm -hmm. I'm respecting this boundary. Nope, I can't do it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is there anything you discovered about yourself this year? Yeah, that I'm worth fighting for. Good for you. That, um, I love that taking yeah. taking those walks every day that is something mm-hmm. that I do for myself and for my health and I still have a long way to go you know I, I did manage to take off the same 30 pounds that I took off you know <laughs> last year I seem to be repeating the process and I've got another 20 I want to go to by a certain time next year um, I'm not sure the Christmas fudge I made this morning is going to aid in that <laughs> however a girl deserves to treat herself okay that's for your mental yes. health and I, yes. and I limit myself <laughs> to the end pieces so anything that's crooked I get so but um yeah it's just um and I think also turning uh 50 a couple of years ago I turned 50 in 2020 so that should have been a sign of Armageddon right there but um just that there's less time ahead than there is behind Mm -hmm. and it's and it's time really to focus on making whatever time I do have left as as enjoyable as possible. Absolutely. So, and yeah. in order to do that, I got to get myself a little bit healthier. So, here's to me. Yeah. I think <laughs> that my 2021 lesson, I just I was walking one day to check the mail because right like our our aha moments come at the most strangest of times. Mm. I was walking to check the mail and it was just like somebody was walking next to me and was like, Hey girl, you are responsible for your own happiness. I think Mm -hmm. I just like hit this rut where I was expecting so much from people. And out of nowhere, it was like this moment of clarity that was like, you are responsible for it. And I have really strived to like, even if it's one thing a day, whether Mm -hmm. it's chatting with Sarah or reading five pages before bed, like that one thing a day that makes mm-hmm. me happy, I think yeah. it has mm-hmm. just been a life changer. So mm-hmm. I love that you shared that. Go on walks, people. Gosh, they are so, <laughs> they're life-changing moments, right? <laughs> and I think the last few years, everything has been an excuse. At least it's been for me. Like I lost my dad in January of 2020 and I was mm-hmm. I was going to the gym before that, but then it became, I'm too upset. And I was, I took it very hard. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit and it's like, okay, now it's COVID. Now I can't go out for a walk because I'm not supposed to leave my house. And then it just snowballs. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're standing back two years later going, wait a minute, what have I done? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly stop the excuses. It's just, you know, you're worth it at the end of the day is what 
is what my takeaway is. What is something you accomplished this year that you're proud of? Um, Two things. The the losing the 30 pounds to me, again, Mm -hmm. was (laughs) something that thought, okay, so I've got that relatively under control and I don't beat myself up about it. If the, if the scale goes up, it goes up, it can always come back down. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't beat myself up when things go badly. And the other thing is getting back to prioritizing the writing and getting back to meeting my deadlines, almost being caught up on the deadlines that just got away from me over the last couple of years. That feels like a really, really big accomplishment. And I I look forward to organizing them better in the future (laughs) (laughs) so that this, so that I can allow for, you know, the craziness that is the universe to interfere and throw Mm -hmm. me off kilter. And hopefully it won't throw me as far off as so many of us got thrown off last year. Mm -hmm. Does staying ahead help keep it from becoming overwhelming or will it always be overwhelming? (laughs) I think it's it's always going to be overwhelming just, um, just because if it didn't feel overwhelming, I would feel complacent and I never want to feel complacent about where Mm -hmm. I am in my career. I do not take any book for granted. I do not take any contract for granted. Um, This new contract I just signed with heartwarming, uh, you know, it took me three attempts to get, a new contract. Uh, just because you have books behind you doesn't mean you've got books in front of you. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, coming to terms with, okay, what I want to write and what they want me to, or what they publish mm-hmm. are t- sometimes going to be two different things. So I had to have a, okay, if I want to write for them, this is what I'm going to have to do. So that's why I pivoted. Um, I'll also say I attempted to write what I thought they wanted. And that's when my editor came back to me and said, uh, this isn't working. What else do you have? And mm-hmm. that's code for, yeah, unless it's a Blackwell, you can't write cowboys. <laughs> it's just, it's not, uh, it, it goes back to something I said in my, in the previous interview with you guys, that if, if I'm not happy writing it, it's going to show on the page and it clearly mm-hmm. writing to something that, isn't particularly in my heart and while I love writing for the Blackwell series uh for heartwarming um cowboys are difficult for me and it's just because it's not a place I'm comfortable with or know a lot about it's not to say I don't like western movies I do but as far as writing it's just not my it's Mm -hmm. not my book and there's a lot you have to get right and and stuff like that so um yeah so I, I think the overwhelming is here to stay and I'm okay with that because I can process the overwhelming. Okay. So I have to ask, and I'm Mm going to try to make this make sense, but it it makes sense in my head, but coming out, it might sound ridiculous. Okay. So we, as readers of the books, we just see, Oh, Anna J. Stewart has a new book coming out, not knowing like you just shared, it may have taken three attempts to actually get that book in the Mm -hmm. store, right? Like entire process. So from what I've gathered, publishing is usually like two years ahead of what mm-hmm. we know. Mm-hmm. So when you're having that conversation and it's, eh, we're not really looking for this. Is that because they're projecting like we're we're two years ahead of the game and like this just isn't fitting into the direction? That, like, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's inspiring because like I said, we get the, the finished product mm-hmm. and we don't know that you were told no, (laughs) you know, that no led to the book that we're picking up in the store. Yeah. So, um, I don't, I don't know that they're necessarily buying for the future, although I guess, I guess that's, that's one way to look at it, but 
Um, I don't, I've never really particularly felt that Harlequin pushes their author toward trends. Uh, my experience has been to find something trope worthy of the line that I want to write and that I know that they're comfortable publishing. Mm-hmm. So, but that can also mean that in between the time I sign the contract for a number of books and the time that I write that book, there could be a lot of things that change. So to take in case in point, my uh, January release, which is worth the risk, it's the 11th Butterfly Harbor book. And this is Alethea's story. When I f- first sold that as part of a, I think it was a four book contract. The character of Declan, the hero of Declan was completely different because at the time what they were publishing were heroes who kind of had a darker past and there was a little bit more angst and a little bit more darkness. And this particular character was going to be recovering from a massive stroke that left him unable to continue with his profession. Now, my original idea was that he was a musician and he lost his ability to play the guitar and that was his everything. And this was actually based on a, um, a real life incident with a, a, an actor I absolutely adore named Rob Benedict. He was a regular on Supernatural. He played Chuck. Okay. And um, he's a musician. He's an actor and a musician. He's a fabulous musician. But I was at a fan convention and he was telling the story about how he had had a stroke. And I was sitting there with my best friend and I leaned back and I went, oh my God, that's a book. Mm-hmm. Because I was thinking about what happens to an artist when he loses his ability to do what he is put on the planet to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was how I pitched that book. Yeah, for those who read Worth the Risk, that is not the hero you're going to get. Uh, because by the time I sat down to write that book and I tried to write that book with those things in mind, I couldn't do it because it was too dark and it was just a place I didn't want to go. And I didn't see a way to do it that would make for an uplifting read rather than kind of an angsty, heartbreaking read. So instead, we made him a race car driver that he had had a crash because of, um, I think we changed it so that he he had something happen in his brain that caused the crash, but now he was working on uh, whether or not he was going to be coming back to the racing world. He's not angsty. He's not depressed and he's not hiding. He's just recovering and doing what he can to get himself back to where he was in an uplifting, funny way. And he's very charming and he's very happy. And that compared to how I had originally sold the story, completely different. Yeah. Um, so, and it's and it's stuff that happened with the line, but it's also stuff that happened within myself, um, mm-hmm. where I'm like, it's, I just I just can't go to that dark place, mainly because Butterfly Harbor isn't a dark place, and who wants? I mean. I love the beauty and the beast trope where you've got the grumpy hero and everything, but there's a difference between grumpy and unsympathetic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I didn't want to have to tackle that. So that, that happens more often, I think, than, than what, what, what we're talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, everything's fluid. And, and the great thing is though, that uh, at least in my experience, my editor has been great about letting those changes happen. As long as I keep to the core conflict, which I did, you know, he's got a risk taker versus somebody who's who's trying to live a very sheltered life. That core conflict remained through the whole story. And it was what was originally in the story and it's what remained. It's just the circumstances surrounding that that shifted. 
Share a 2021 pleasant surprise you experienced. You know what? This this happened just a couple of months ago where my editor emailed me and said that they wanted to use Bride on the Run as the free tester for people in the heart on the heartwarming line. Oh, nice. So for people who want to try the different lines uh, for free, uh, there are going to be free, there are free reads. I think last year uh, was one of Melinda Curtis's books and next year it's going to be bright on the run. So um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I was really thrilled that, that they, that they approached me and asked if, um, if I was okay with that. And I'm like, am I okay with that? Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, so um, that was, that was really a nice surprise. And it came, you know, it came completely unexpectedly. Nothing mm-hmm. that you ever expect to happen happening. That's always the best kind of surprise. Well, that is a wonderful pick. So shout mm-hmm. out to the editor. We love Absolutely. editors here. It may be the same situation, but it may be different. Share with us a 2021 moment that you will never forget. Okay. So I think it was the end of February, beginning of March. And my best friend and I had not been, we had been Zooming every week during lockdown or, I mean, we're both in California and we're both, we live like maybe a half an hour away from each other, but we had not seen each other in person in 18 months. And, you know, uh, Mary and I have been best friends since uh, we cut class together in college to go to the movies. Um, (laughs) So it's like going on 30 years, I think that we've been hanging out and going to the movies and stuff. Uh, But we were finally able to get together and go to breakfast. And what we did was we planned our 2022 vacation. And that's coming up in March. And we sat there in this darling little restaurant downtown in Sacramento called the Fox and Goose, which is kind of a pub kind of place. And I'm sitting there with my little wireless keyboard and we made all of our plans so that we could send it to the travel agent and say, this is what we want to do. And it felt like a, it felt like breathing Mm. after holding your breath for so long. It felt like, okay, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and we are now headed toward it. We're not stuck in the middle. (laughs) Um, So, and hopefully it's still going to come off, uh, go away Omicron. Uh, (laughs) but, um, that to me was kind of a defining moment for 2020 because it felt like life kind of kick-started again. Yeah. Such a simple moment, like just sitting yeah. with your friend in the diner after a long yeah. hike, like not even a yeah. hike, just not being able to see each other and making plans. Just, yes. Just, that's I love it. Yeah. So looking ahead to 2022, what piece of advice would Anna today give to Anna in the new year? Stop worrying about all that small stuff you know and 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 stop uh obsessing over things i've either done or said or thought in the past where i can't change anything i don't know why i get myself into these mental circles of of you know dwelling on things that literally cannot be changed and it sucks the life out of you <laughs> um so yeah I, I i think that's that's kind of what my new my new thing for the new year is going to be is to just live in the moment and stop stop lamenting things that uh, honestly have no effect on what's what's going on in the today which I think is easier said than done but mm-hmm. I have to like vocalize it to myself I have to say girl you can do nothing about this keep it moving right <laughs> you know yeah yeah I think we need like a code word or something that we can say to each other or say yeah. to ourselves that just kind of kick you right out of that mentality so before we go Share, let's do some bookish love. Are there any authors or books that you would like to shout out? 
first and always, I will shout out all of my heartwarming sisters. There are so many great authors writing for the heartwarming line. Just off the top of my head, you've got Claire McEwen and and Beth Carpenter and uh, Leanne Bristow will have a new book coming out soon. I'm so excited she's back to the heartwarming. Um, she had a really rough couple of years where she couldn't sell anything, and then finally, the lights opened up and she's back. So, um, well, welcome back to her. <laughs> yeah, I'm so I'm so excited for her because she's so happy about that. But um, I've uh, I've been trying to branch out and and. I also do some editing on the sides and one of the authors I, I edit for, and I absolutely love her contemporary romance is Bonnie Phelps. Um, and she's indie author and, um, she writes, uh, contemporary romance, a little spicier than sweet, but not, not super over the top. And she writes very stoic, uh, Texas heroes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would highly recommend her. Uh, Adele Buck is a new favorite. Um, Oh, I can't remember what her latest one is called, but she's kind of doing a theater. I think it's a theater one. I've got her books on my e-reader. Um, and then Maisie Yates is a new favorite. And mm-hmm. anybody who wants to know how to write cowboys, just read Maisie Yates because mm-hmm. yeah. there's there's really very <laughs> few people in the business who does cowboys better than Maisie. <laughs> and uh, also follow her on um, on social media because she gives them really, really great advice to writers. Mm-hmm. Oh really yeah, Nana Rimo, she was on it. I was doing it. Yeah, I was just gonna say she had one there where she was just kind of going through twenty things you need to know mm-hmm. um, about Nana Rimo or your process or whatever it was, and I I literally just listen to her and I get transfixed because mm-hmm. she it's like going to romance novel writing church. She just gets it and she knows how to articulate that and teach. Yeah. Even though she probably wouldn't think she's teaching. She's teaching. Yeah. Um, and I learned from her. So I absolutely love her. And then uh, Jerry Croto is mm-hmm. another favorite. And she's uh, one of my romantic suspense sisters. And we then love Jerry. We love Jerry here. <laughs> and then um, I just finished buying the series so I can finally read it is um, by Janie Crouch. Um, which she writes for uh, Intrigue, but she also does a number of indie uh, series that are just like, uh, Sarah, if you like the romantic suspense and you haven't discovered Janie's independent stuff, grab onto it. I love her. I love her intrigue. I'll have to definitely go yeah. after we're done here onto Amazon. Yeah. How it's, do you sleep it's at night, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> Very comfortably knowing the bad guys have all been caught. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah, those, those are, those are some authors to give a shout out. I could keep going all day. (laughs) Well, we are excited. I can't wait to see what we get from heartwarming in the new year. The Christmas titles alone have been fantastic. I'm reading um, a Merry Christmas date right now by Cindy. Is it Cindy Powell? Yes. Delightful. Friends to lovers. I love that trope. Yep. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So lastly, where can everyone follow you online? Uh, So my website has everything you need to know about me. (laughs) www.authorannastewartwithat.com. I'm on um, Instagram and Facebook at, uh, well, Instagram is Anna J. Stewart. Uh, Facebook is author Anna J. Stewart. Um, my picture is up there for everything. So just look for the red hair. Uh, mm-hmm. Might change in tone from here to there. I'm a little darker these days uh, in a lot of ways. But, um, and then Twitter, I'm at AJ Stewart Writer. Um, 
so yeah, I'm, I'm everywhere. And if I have personal page and author page, but if you're just interested in the book aspect where it's, uh, happiness books rainbows and animals hit me up at author anna j Stork. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> avoid my personal page like the plague trust me. <laughs> i just have to say your instagram the photo of the cats in the kitchen and your caption oh. was hilarious i think you were like taking them to the vet <laughs> oh my god that was at the vet's office. And yes, um, when I got home, my mom says, so do we need to invest in like industrial steel gloves for when I attempt to put the cats in the carrier? And I'm like, no, the vet said to come get drugs. So my cats need to be drugged to go to the doctor. It's hilarious. Oh, my. Those two. And they ended up having to get examined in the sink of the vet's office because oh, they Lord. wouldn't they wouldn't go to the exam table and she's all okay we'll do a sink exam yeah like, as I a hope. cat mom i feel your pain oh man <laughs> they do what they want that's right they do they do <laughs> well we love you so much thank you for this <laughs> oh i'm so glad you guys invited me back i didn't scare you off that's an no, awesome no, thing no, <laughs> we were like okay we're gonna have a christmas episode it was like a no-brainer like let's see if anna would come back on and like we said we know that this day is hard for some people so it's just something about your the episode you were on before we were like anna we have to get anna like she's it so thank you so much for (laughs) hanging out with us today listeners make sure you check the show notes we'll have links to all the places where you can keep up with anna as well as all the places where you can find her books we are so excited for everything that you have coming out because it's a lot yes (laughs) it is yes it's a year ahead (laughs) we are rooting for you and listeners sarah and i will chat with you in our next episode have a lovely day everybody and merry christmas because this is christmas merry christmas merry christmas Merry christmas everybody